Hey, what is going on, everyone? It's me, Mr. Mario, and welcome back to another episode of Mario's Minute. In case you do not know, this is the second podcast I do. My main podcast, Mod Chat, is a lot more structured. Typically, it's shorter than these, and it's really where I talk about new things that I find interesting, cool, uh, just things that I want to share and want to delve into and sometimes do show and tell in the world of video game and console modding. However, this is my second podcast where I really come on here and I come on do this once a month. Sometimes I have a guest, sometimes I don't, and I just talk about really whatever the hell I want to. Uh, it's fun, it's therapeutic, it's a pretty low effort admittedly, but it seems like the people who listen to this and enjoy it really seem to enjoy it for what it is. So I appreciate you all and I thank you for that. Now, as I said, sometimes I have a guest on, sometimes I don't, and I try and alternate month to month. Now, this would have been a guest month, unfortunately. It was on me, my own fault here, my mistake. I apologize. Uh, this is just going to be a solo episode here. I'll be honest, I didn't even reach out to anyone this month just because uh, there was some busy stuff that was happening in the background this month here, and by the time I kind of got around to this, I was like, you know, like by the time I'm recording everything and even like scheduling and all that, I just don't think... I'll be able to get someone, and that's more on me here, so I'm taking the fall for that. My mistake. My bad. It's no one else's fault there. Uh, however, I will try and get a guest on next month, but uh, this is a, a good month, and a number here, a number 64, which I usually just associate with in 64, of course, I'm sure many other people do. Either way, if you are liking Mario's Minute, or you want to check out the backlog and listen to more of it, uh, it is available in two different forms. First of all, it is available in a video visual form on the Mr. Mario 2011 YouTube channel. Secondly, it is available in a audio-only form like an actual podcast. Uh, so you can take it around and listen to it wherever the hell you want to, whenever you want to. Just look up Mario's Minute on your favorite podcasting app, host, or platform, and you should be able to find it. I know this is available on most platforms, but it's not available on all the platforms. Either way, let's go ahead and get into this solo episode here. I just have a few topics that I kind of wanted to cover, but uh, you know, one here was one story that I had thought of that I was told a few years ago. I want to say I heard this back in like 2019 or something, and I just thought of it and I said, you know... I think this would be fun to tell on Mario's Minute. Why not? Uh, so this was years ago. There was someone I was speaking with, and um, we were talking about old Nintendo games. And he was talking about how he grew up, because he was older than me, but he grew up with the Nintendo. He fondly remembers getting one when he was a young kid uh, on Christmas. And I don't remember what year he ended up getting it. But he started talking to me about the unlicensed games, uh, really the uh, religious games, such as Bible Adventures. Now, the fun and funny thing about these games is that you gotta first off realize how the Nintendo, the NES, the Nintendo Entertainment System, the NES, the... I guess technically not... It is the Famicom, but not. I'm I'm talking about you know like the U.S. release, so really the Nintendo Entertainment System. Uh, it had something on there called the 10 NES chip. Uh, this was essentially you can look it up. It's one zero NES, uh, 10 NES. So you can. This is essentially an anti-piracy feature and chip that was built into the system. Um, so there was anti-piracy built on there, and then every single cartridge that was pressed had to be pressed and assembled and everything from Nintendo. So 
even you yourself as a publisher, you had to purchase your cartridges from Nintendo and they would assemble the cartridges and all that. And on those cartridges, it essentially had the corresponding chip to work with the 10 NES chip in order to allow the console to boot up. Um, now, I'm, I'm kind of just explaining this from a granular level because I'm sure there's a lot of people listening who know about this, but uh, for those who don't, you know, this is a, a good refresher on here. Uh, so the idea would be that this is also when Nintendo had their Nintendo seal of approval. Uh, so they had really stringent policies, and a lot of publishers didn't like that, which is why, you know, Sega was starting to do good at that point, but... I think one of them was, for example, like every single game had to be, you know, thoroughly checked out by Nintendo. And I want to say publishers could publish no more than four games per year on the platform. It was something like that. Uh, so therefore, you had something such as uh, people going a little more official where what they were doing was they were opening up. It was the same publisher, but they were opening up subsidiary companies and they were submitting games that way. Uh, then you had more of the bootleg or roguelike uh, feature on there, which was companies such as uh, Tengen, where Tengen, I believe they were a subsidiary of Atari, if I remember correctly, and they ended up just uh, essentially clone, like kind of cloning, kind of reverse engineering the uh, 10NES chip, and they were able to, uh, you know, get the same corresponding chip, put it onto their cartridges, so they were able to press their own cartridges and get them to work on the Nintendo. Now, if you did not have a cartridge with this corresponding chip to work with the 10 NES lockout chip, uh, really, when you put in the cartridge, typically, it just wouldn't work. You would turn on the system, you would get a red blinking light instead of a beautiful solid red light, uh, or you can get some kind of, like, anti-piracy tampering message but i'm pretty sure it was just like the game would not boot at all and you would get that blinking red light uh, so there were companies that did several different things to kind of bypass this and there's several unofficial games that you can look up now it doesn't matter because everyone can just you know use that chip on there and it's it's fine for the most part um but i know at the time there were a few like religious games that were released and they were just reskins for the most part i think like Zelda ended up getting like kind of a, a bootleg reskin in a way and Bible Adventures is the main one I'm thinking of but uh, some of these games ended up having like a switch on them quite literally like a little toggle switch where there was two positions that you could put it into and what this would do is when you turn on the system uh, it, it was kind of reset glitch hack like if you're familiar with the Xbox 360 but for the Nintendo uh, essentially the <laughs> The cartridge would, when you turn on the console and you have the cartridge loaded up in there, it would send a little bit of a shock, essentially, to the 10 NES chip to make it reset in a way. And when it reset, it would disable the NES chip, well, the 10 NES chip, while the game was running. So therefore, it was able to boot. And if the console didn't boot up the game with one setting, you could just flip that switch and try the other setting on there. Uh, however... That's also why there's some people who, uh, even just for more successful boots and stuff, uh, you could even just disable the 10 NES lockout chip on your system. There's a few ways of doing it. You could, um, I've done it on one of my systems where I just ended up soldering a wire to two different points and it ends up bypassing the, or disables, I guess, the 10 NES chip. There's people who go more aggressive where they quite literally cut off one of the legs or just disconnect one of the legs on the chip itself on the motherboard. So there's a few different ways of doing it. Uh, there's also some models that just don't have it at all. But 
either way, once you go through all of that, uh, that's all to say I didn't know about this. It was essentially, uh, how, how can I put this? It was modding systems for God. If you believe, you you can say something like that. Now, whatever, regardless of what your beliefs are, uh, this story did happen. So <laughs> my friend was telling me about this, right? He said, going back to this, uh, now that we have, you know, all the backstory underway, uh, he ended up getting a Nintendo Entertainment System for Christmas. However, he came from a pretty religious family, and a part of it was he couldn't play most games that were there, um, just like the typical NES games that you would think of. However... His parents did allow him to play the religious games, and these religion, like these religious games, they weren't sold in like Walmart or Kmart or Hastings or any of the mainstream stores. Uh, they were sold in a lot of religious bookstores, and they were also cheaper as well too. So, for example, if like regular Nintendo games were fifty dollars, these religious games were maybe twenty dollars, twenty five dollars. Uh, even so, I believe he even said that at his local church. I don't know if they sold the games there, but they definitely had the games in stock, and I believe they at least let people, like, they loaned them out to people for free, which is really cool. And he was telling me he has fond memories of them, because he's like, no, like, some of those games are actually really good. Like, when you realize they're just reskins, just with a religious twist on there, they're still just really good games overall. So he has a very fond memory of them. But he said that he had to get his Nintendo modded at the time, and of course... I mean, if you're watching this channel, you know me, right? Like, my ears perked up at this. I was like, wait, what What? What are you talking about? What What do you mean? And he said, yeah, there was this, uh, essentially there were these games for, like, the religious games. Uh, because they weren't officially released, we had to send off our system to get modded. And all I know is that he told me, he said it was the most bittersweet thing. But Christmas morning, I think him and his siblings, they wake up. They open up their presents. They get the Nintendo. They're super excited. And immediately before they can even really enjoy it, their parents are like, hey, look, so we got to send the Nintendo to these people over in California. And I don't know if it was the publisher of these games that did it. I, I, I think it would be if they were based out of California, and I don't know for sure. But apparently his parents had to tell him, hey, so before you really enjoy this, we got to pack all this up. And we got to send off your brand new present that you haven't even opened yet over to California because we want to play, we want to buy, and we want you to play these religious games on here. However, we need to send the Nintendo to this company in California, and they're going to do a little modification and a little fix to the system. And then when the system is sent back, it will allow you to play all those games. So the bittersweet thing was, you know, you have this real high moment of getting a Nintendo for Christmas. And uh, then they had to package it up. They had to send it off. He said it took a while. He said it took like two or three months. And then by the time they got it back, all he knows is that they sent it to California. This company did something to it. They got it back. And then he was able to purchase and loan and borrow all of these religious games. And they all worked beautifully on the system. But that was a contingency. And that was like a service they had back then. It was very much at the point where it was... In order to play our games, or at least play them more successfully, you had to get your system modded. <laughs> Is that Christ-like or not? I, I don't know, but I was just like, I was tickled just listening to this story. And that's when I explained to him, I said, oh yeah, what they were doing, they were probably just bypassing or disabling the 10 NES chip. And he was like, I have no idea what they did because I was a kid. All I know, all I know is that 
we had to take my brand new system, send it off to California. Two or three months later, we got it back, and it could play all the games. <laughs> so I, I always thought that was entertaining, and I just remembered that story recently, and I, I thought I would share it with you all. So I, I guess still game-related here, not modding, but I thought we would have a, a, a nice little like modding intro right there, I suppose you can say. Uh, now, this is a little bit late on here, but when did this get announced? Let me see... I'm, I'm going to look this up real quick. This was... Oh, wow, this was a bit ago. Okay, you know what? We're still going to be talking about it here because I still want to get my uh, my opinion on this. I am looking this up in regards to E3. I quite literally looked up E3 canceled here on Google. And, you know, you get, like, the business recommendations on the right side and all that. And it quite literally says, you know, E3 Expo locations, Calif Los Angeles, California. Next date, canceled. Man. So, E3 was something that I and many others had looked forward to. Now, I I've never been to an E3. I think it was one of those things when I was younger, I really, really wanted to go to one. But a few years ago, the last actual E3, like, I know they did the digital ones, but the last actual E3 in person where, I'll even read this off here, according to Wikipedia, they say E3 is a trade event for the video game industry in the United States. Uh, the Entertainment Software Association organizes and presents E3, uh, which many developers, publishers, hardware, and accessory manufacturers use to introduce and advertise upcoming games and game-related merchandise to retailers and to members of the press. It's just a big, giant press conference. Um, I guess I wanted to talk about, you know, kind of the cancellation of E3 and really if it's needed at this point and kind of what the overall thought has been overall here. So we talked a little bit about E3. I feel like anybody who is even a little bit cognizant of gaming uh, knows what E3 is. You have heard about it. Uh, but the last actual E3, like boots on the ground in person in Los Angeles, was back in 2019. And I guess even then... Like, the last few years, like, I always used to get real excited for E3, and I'd be following it and following the, uh, you know, all, all the, I, I, I'd get up early sometimes, I'd stay up late sometimes, I did coverage here on the channel as well, too, uh, checking out the live streams, my thoughts and opinions on everything and the releases, and it was exciting overall. I don't want to poo-poo on E3 all too much, but I, I guess I'll say the last few years, I just wasn't as excited about it. Um, I got to be more selective with spending time watching things i got to be more selective with uh coverage of the live streams it got to the point near the end i wasn't even watching the full um the full conferences anymore uh, because it just got to the point like the media consumption changed i said you know i don't really want to spend like i don't want to like allocate this and spend you know like two hours an hour and a half you know watching this conference with a lot of games that i might care about i might not care that much about when all of the individual trailers are going to be cut up and uploaded immediately onto the official PlayStation, Xbox, Nintendo, IGN, GameSpot, uh, YouTube channels, and websites. And I can just pick and choose what I want to watch there, as opposed to adjusting my entire schedule for it. Uh, so that's kind of the, 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 I would say, probably 2018, 2019. Uh, that's kind of the approach that I started taking to my E3 consumption. And I feel like that's how a lot of people were as well, too. Uh, you no longer, first of all, you no longer had to 
watch everything. You no longer had to watch every single live stream. You no longer had to attend. Uh, in fact, from what I've gathered, there were several people there who were, you know, like smaller, like smaller to medium size, like YouTubers and press event people and all that who had gone to E3 and they enjoyed it. But they even said, you know, honestly, like going to E3 is cool. But if you're going there as press and coverage and you're trying to, you know, get yourself those numbers and that clout, um, it's not really worth going even in that point because if you are if your goal is to get as much coverage as you can and get it out as fast as possible you you'll have a better job just staying at home and streaming and covering everything and doing all your videos immediately as opposed to going to the event and fighting for space and waiting in lines. Uh, the event itself was still like, you know, going there. You can't emulate that. Um, that's still exciting, like actually meeting the people, seeing all these people, seeing things in person, making those connections. But if your goal is for actual coverage for yourself, you can do a better job and a faster job at home as opposed to actually going to the event and you'll save a lot more money. So it seems like the last like, three years of E3, that seemed to be a lot of the consensus about it. Uh, for me also, I kind of saw a bit of writing on the wall when uh, they opened it up to everyone. At one point, they said E3 is open to the public. It's no longer just press. Uh, while it was, uh, spoiler alert on there, they kind of twisted it in a way. Uh, apparently, you were always able to get into E3. Uh, there was E3, which was for the press. And then I think a few days after, or like some of the later days, they did something called E for All which you just as a non-press related like civilian person, you could pay for your own membership and you can go there. However, even hidden there in a way, because I looked it up years ago, because I like many other people, I looked up how can you get to E3. And I found out that even you yourself, you don't have to go to E for all, you don't have to be press, but you could buy your way into E3. The problem is though, you can't really do that much. You can essentially walk the floor, and that's it. But a lot of those games, you can't play, because the games are reserved for press, and those companies want press to play their games. The conferences, like the Microsoft, the Sony, the Nintendo conferences, you can't go to those. You have to be invited to them. Uh, any of the small conferences, you know, let's say like Devolver or well, Ubisoft, they're bigger, but any of these game developer conferences, you can't go to those either. So quite literally, you, you can't, you really can't do that much because you can you can get in to E3 technically, you can walk the floor, you can observe, you can talk to people, but you're not press. So you are not entitled to actually do things and you have to be invited to events on there. Uh, so essentially when I looked into that and I read up on it, I saw, you know, even just as a non-press person, it's not worth going to E3. Um, because again, there's a lot of connections you have to make and stuff to actually be allowed to do all of this. Uh, so when they said E3 was open to the public, that little kind of hidden gym that I told you all about, they just essentially exposed that to everyone. They just said, hey, if you want to, you can buy your way in. You've been able to do that for years, but they just made it a lot more public than it usually has been. Um, the other big thing about E3, which was kind of writing on the wall, was when these big companies started to not do their, uh, not do their conferences there. You know, having the big stage presence, it's cool. Don't get me wrong. It's entertaining. But there's also a lot of times there's things that can go wrong. Uh, there's cringy moments. Uh, there's 
there's no way you can make people happy because for example if you are on if you're a company on stage and you're doing a live demonstration of a game there's things that can go wrong and i've looked into you know like developer documentaries and developer diaries and stuff and uh, there's <laughs> there's things like for example i want to say uncharted 4 when they did a live like they did a live gameplay reveal of it uh, you could even see like when they revealed it there was a big issue, not big, but there was an issue at the beginning where they had to reset the demo because the controller didn't work. So they had to reset the demo real quick and they the, they just couldn't control Nathan Drake for the first like 20 seconds on screen. So things like that happen and it's mortifying for the companies. It's embarrassing. I mean, you can make a meme out of it, but look at all these years later, I'm talking about it. But something we did not see is that I, I want to say Jason Schreier wrote a book on it, which I read and it was a fantastic book, and I can't remember the name of it, but it was the first book that he wrote, and he interviewed uh, Naughty Dog for the development of, uh, I want to say it was Uncharted 4, and essentially, they had to have, while the main person was playing the game on stage, they had to have a second person in the back playing the game, doing the exact same movements at the exact same time. And at any given moment, if something went wrong, they had to switch from the first gamer to the second gamer. The reason being is that they said that there was a glitch that randomly happened that they had not fixed at E3, which was at random, every single texture in the game would turn purple. So in case they were on stage and everything turned purple, they had to immediately cut over to feed two, which was the guy playing in the back, and then continue on with the game. Now, thankfully, they didn't have to do that. They were able to play through the demo successfully, and then everybody loved Uncharted 4 after the initial laughs there. Uh, but the point is, you're going to get moments like that. There's a lot of room where things can go wrong during those gameplay demos. Meanwhile, if you're just showing uh, pre-rendered cutscenes and pre-rendered game like game trailers, then you're going to have people like me where I'm just like, well, I don't want to just watch a pre-rendered trailer. I want to actually see the gameplay. So you can't make everyone happy. But it was a lot of these companies realizing that they don't have to have a stage presence they don't have to have their own conference on there they could do things their own way and credit where credit is due the first company that really did that was nintendo they started doing their nintendo directs and i think they start doing their nintendo directs because typically nintendo conferences i remember when they actually used to do press conferences uh they were typically the weakest ones in my opinion they weren't as entertaining they were the more boring ones and even in the last few years when nintendo started doing their own thing like they did the nintendo treehouse events those were just really boring to watch compared to sony's or uh, microsoft's conferences so nintendo first started they were the first big company to pull out in that regard where they said hey you know we're not going to announce anything like we're we're not going to do anything here we're just going to do a nintendo direct it's going to be a live stream it's going to be uh, available to everyone at the exact same time on our official channels and at that point they can control everything because they just it's not even a live stream actually they just no it wasn't a live stream it was just a pre-recorded video they were able to record everything they were able to get through all their flubs they were able to add subtitles they were able to edit all together and then they were able to upload it at the time that they wanted to upload it so it worked out beautifully for them and a lot of people really doubted that including myself but look where we're at now playstation has state of play uh xbox has i can't even think of the name but xbox has their own equivalent even now 
companies are doing their own things. Like Devolver has Devolver, uh, is it Devolver Digital or Devolver Direct, I want to say? I think it's Devolver Direct. They do the same thing. So video game companies are doing their same things. Uh, last year, we saw Konami did their exact same thing with Silent Hill. Uh, they did their own pre-recorded live event where they were able to pre-record everything, edit what they needed to, add subtitles, and then they ended up releasing it as a premiere, so it was like a half-live stream. So all these companies ended up doing that same thing. And when you see all these companies doing that, at that point it's like, well, do we really have to do E3? Because especially even right now, I'm thinking about it with uh, 20, you know, 2022, 2023, uh, with everything going on with, you know, economics. E3 is a very expensive thing to have set up, not only for the companies, but also for press going out there as well, too. And yeah, there's a lot of it that is uh, business expenses, sure, and it can be filed away like that, but it's still a very expensive event to set up, to prepare for, to attend, and all of these companies, it doesn't surprise me if they're just going the route of saying, you know what, we're just going to do our own live stream events, we're just going to do our own pre-recorded thing and we're going to release it as a YouTube premiere or we're going to live stream it and we're just going to do our own thing there. So it got to a point where this year was supposed to be a comeback and really this is kind of, to me, E3 is kind of one of those casualties of COVID, you could say. Uh, I'm not trying to get political here, but it's really the first E3 that was canceled was E3 2020 because of obvious reasons, because of COVID. Uh, so they end up taking it online. And from what I gathered, like people seem to be okay with it. It wasn't like stellar. It wasn't bad, but people seem to be okay with it. And then 2021, uh, that ended up happening there. Now I'm looking here, 2022. This is odd. It looks like I don't even know if there was an E3 that happened in 2022. I think they just skipped 2022. So 2023 was the one where they were saying, Hey, you know what? We're back. We're back. We're doing this. But by that point, companies had adjusted because 2020, understandable. There's a, you know, there's a global pandemic. 2021, it's still online. 2022, canceled. So these companies had three years to adjust. The press had three years to adjust. The industry had three years to adjust. And this is to say, again, I'm not trying to poo-poo on E3, mind you, but, um, I think, you know, if that didn't happen, if it was continuing on and being a yearly thing, which I totally understand why it wasn't, but if it was still an in-person event that was happening every single year and none of the bad stuff in, you know, health in the world ended up happening, I feel like E3 probably would have gone on for a little bit more. Maybe we would have had it canceled, you know, in, in a few more years. That could have been a little more realistic. But E3 2023 ended up being canceled because, well, they were going to bring it back, but all the companies, big and small, ended up pulling out. And when you don't have any of your clients there, then you can't, it doesn't make sense to have an event anymore. Uh, I don't personally think E3 is ever going to come back, especially because even though E3 has been around, we've now seen other conferences that have gotten more attention and more eyes on them. Uh, for example, Game Developer Conference. That came back. It's been very successful. People love it. Internationally, Gamescom. Very successful. That's been going on. People seem to love it. Uh, so all of these other conferences have been, 
you know, they've returned and they've been just fine. So that's even to say, I'm even thinking of this now. You know, I really think, and this is my opinion, if E3 managed to happen in 2022, I don't think we would be discussing the the death of E3 2023. But I think it just, you know, it, it from what I see, it just did not happen at all. I actually forgot about that. I totally forgot that in 2022, we didn't even have a digital E3. We didn't have a physical E3. We didn't have a digital E3. And at that point, when it's when it's dead, it's gone. <laughs> so that's all to say, rest in peace to E3. It is disappointing for sure that it's gone. But do we need E3 at this point? In my opinion, I don't think we do. I, I think the industry and the press and all of these companies have adjusted and they've moved on from E3. And this is not to say that conferences like this are dead because they're not. They're not. As I mentioned, I talked about Game Developer Conference, I talked about uh Gamescom, those are still ongoing from what I understand. Uh but E3 no, that died off unfortunately. So rest in peace to E3. <laughs> so next up here I'm going to talk about this because, you know what, I'm a little bit hungry. This is a uh, restaurant story where uh, I'd gone there with a friend of mine. And uh, this is to say, you know, I I feel for anybody who, you know, who works retail jobs, who works a service job. uh, I've never worked a service job. Like, I've never worked at a restaurant, but I worked retail. And uh, I worked retail for over two years. Uh, definitely can be a pain. It definitely wasn't as hard as service jobs. I'll say that. So props to you all. Uh, But you're still dealing with the general public and you do end up kind of getting that disdain and you're a bit calloused on there. Uh, So this was recently, this is a few weeks ago, uh, I was hanging out with a friend of mine and we'd ended up going to a restaurant. Now it was a restaurant that I'd wanted to take him to before and I didn't read the times properly. The first time we tried to go, it was closed, and it just didn't work for the day that we were going. So then a few weeks later, we were hanging out, and this time we're going to do it. We're going to try it out. Uh, we, we got everything down, right? Now, I'd been to this restaurant many, many times. You know, it's small business. I was supporting it, love the owners, love the employees there. And there was one employee who's really, like, serving a lot there who I'd seen there since the beginning. I don't know her name, but I've seen her there since the beginning and I've never had an issue there. So I end up going and, uh, you know, bring my friend along with me and we go there and we end up putting our order in. So we pick our drinks, our food and all that. And then I end up getting like a drink in a bottle and he wanted a diet Coke, uh, just like from, from the tap you know, uh, or from like a fountain drink. That's it. Uh, so he asked for a diet Coke. So he's over on the side while I'm ordering my food. And I guess in the interim, he had gotten his diet Coke. He took a sip of it. He put it back and he just said, Oh, this is the, the he, he was kind of like waiting for like some attention on there. And then when the people behind the counter saw there was something wrong, he just said, Hey, this is, this is Dr. Pepper. Uh, I, I want a diet Coke, but then it surprised me a bit. They gave him a little bit of attitude. They were just like, well, no, you, you ordered Dr. Pepper. He said, no, I, I ordered Diet Coke. They said, well, we heard you say Diet Dr. Pepper. He said, no, I, I said Diet Coke, to which I, I heard Diet Coke as well, too. And the employee said, well, I, I thought you said Diet Dr. Pepper. He said, no, I, I said Diet Coke. And he was being respectful, right? Like, he was being respectful with it. But it was this really, like, awkward situation. So then she ended up taking the glass back. She dumped it out. She refilled it with Diet Coke. 
She gives it to him. So I'd already sat at the table and he comes over and I love my friend, but this is like, this is like the one time I've ever seen him look upset, like out of all the years I've known him. And he looks a little bit upset. And I was like, whoa, what happened? He was like, they're just, they're, they're acting like I'm, I'm wasting so much. It it costs two cents. Like, I don't know what's up. And I was like, well, what's going on? He said, he pretty much retold the story. I just told you all here. He said, and he was, he was a little bit upset by it because he was just a little bit annoyed. He's like, I ordered a fountain drink. I ordered a diet Coke and they didn't want to refill it for me. They gave me a diet Dr. Pepper. And I said, I didn't order Dr. Pepper. I didn't want a diet Dr. Pepper. Like I wanted a diet Coke. And they were saying, well, that's what we heard you say. And we thought that you said that. And we heard you say that. And they didn't want to refill it for me. And I'm just like, it's, it's not going to, it's a fountain drink. It's not like the drink you got. It's a fountain drink. It's not going to cost you. It's going to cost you what? Two cents to refill this for me. And I'm just like, dude, I'm, I am so sorry. I am so sorry, man. Like I, I love this place. Like, look, I've never had an issue with this place. I've never had an issue with the customer service. I don't want your first experience here to be a bad one. He's like, it's okay. Let's just wait for the food. So that ends up happening. We end up getting our food. Uh, the food is great. Uh, but he ended up getting like, kind of like a waffle set up and he wanted, uh, he wanted some, what sauce am I think? He wanted syrup. That was it. So he's just like, oh man, I'm, I'm, I'm needing some syrup. I'm going to go up and ask. And I was like, okay, good luck. You're, you're going to be asking the same person. And he, he told me, thank you. So he goes up there. He, he gets a little like vat of syrup and brings it back. And I asked him if he had any, if he got any attitude. And he said, no, it was, it was less this time. It was fine. <laughs> and then, you know, we're finishing up our meal and near the end, he said, Okay, I'm uh I'm I'm gonna go get a refill on my drink. And I was like, Oh good luck, man. He just starts laughing. He's like, Man, she's gonna kill me. <laughs> so he goes up to the same person, he asks for a refill, he got his refill, he came back, and there was no issue this time around. And he ended up he he ended up like it was very justified, but he said something that just kinda resonated. He said, Everyone's just kinda putting the bare minimum in. And like I, I understand it makes sense. I'm not even blaming them, but every job everyone's just kind of putting the bare minimum in i get it (laughs) and i guess that's kind of happening as well too that's i don't know if anybody else has noticed anything like that like this isn't to say i haven't had like it's not like i've had like awful experiences going into shops going into restaurants going into grocery stores but i can also understand when people who are working these jobs are just doing the bare minimum i think we're all just kind of trying to get by on here (laughs) So there, there's been that. Yeah, that that's what's been going on. <laughs> so I, uh, you know, speaking of some stores, uh, I wanted to share a few uh, game store stories with you all. Now, let me see which ones I'm picking. And for anybody who does not know, I typically like to share at least a story or two, something along these lines, uh, in these solo episodes. Now, for the background on here... Back when I was from like ages 16 to 18 from, uh, when was this? Yeah, that was like, you know, 2009 to 2011. Yeah, yeah, that sounds right. 2009, 2011, for just over two years, I worked at a local video game store. It was my first like official like job job I had. I worked there part time, uh, really enjoyed myself for the most part there. Uh, I loved the store. I loved the coworkers, uh, kind of developed a little bit of a disdain for the general public public like you do when you end up working retail that happens 
So I ended up, uh, you know, worked at a local mom-pop game shop, and it's something that uh, the shop's defunct now, but we had a couple locations, and there's a lot of memories and stories from there that I hold uh, near and dear to me. So typically on here, I end up, you know, sharing some stories related to it. I think this is what I'm going to do, right? I'm going to share one story that's going to be directly related to it, and I'm going to share another story that's kind of adjacent to it. So let me get into this, right? So... (laughs) Uh, my manager at the time, uh, he was like an older brother to me, but I want to say he was like seven or eight years older. And he like, we, we had sound systems at both of our locations. Uh, we had a smaller one that wasn't as robust and wasn't as cool, uh, at the second location, but it still worked for us. Right. But at one point when I was working there, I, I don't know what was up. And I think he's, I don't even think it's a phase. I think it's just a lifestyle now. But he got into, my manager got into a phase of country western music. Uh, he just fell in love with country. And he tried to say it was like he was always listening to it. But he kind of listened to a bit of everything. But when I first met him, you know, he was listening to like rap, rock, metal, classic rock, um, new metal, uh, just a lot of stuff like that. And then it was like a light switch flipped. I, I don't know what brought this about. Um, I want to say it was somewhere around 2010. I don't know what happened, but he just started going all in on country music. He was listening to country all the time, obsessed with the stuff. And occasionally he would like listen to like a Green Day song or listen to uh, some other song. And then he would go right back to the country music. I have nothing against country. I, I kind of listen to a bit of everything. I have love for all genres. There's really maybe only like a few artists I truly dislike. Uh, but for the most part, when people say, I listen to everything except for country, it's like, no, nah, man, there's country songs I like as well, too. <laughs> so I guess what happened was, for a bit, he would jam out to his country western music and just be banging it real loud at this second shop. And it wasn't, like, enough to disturb the peace, mind you, but it was, like, it was it was pretty loud, right? And it got to the point where, you know, it was kind of annoying some of the friends, some of the coworkers, and we just kind of dealt with it. Like, I, it wasn't like I was at my wits end, but I'm like, okay, there, there goes the manager with his country music, sure. But at one point, it came to a, a stop. Not his love for country music, right? He still loves it to this day, I'm pretty sure. But it just came to an absolute, like, screeching halt. In the store, at least. Because there was one day I remember, I walked into the store, and it was, like, dead silent. And I'm like, what's going on? There's no one here. There's, there's no music playing. What's up? And apparently, my manager had gotten in trouble for banging his country music west, like his country western music, super loud. And it wasn't like a neighbor, a neighboring store complained. It was a, I guess, a friend of the store who was friends with the boss. <laughs> apparently, there's a lot. Of, there, now, there's a lot of people who love country music. There's a lot of people who hate country music, like hate country music, right? That's why you get the thing where it's like, oh, I listen to everything except for rap or I listen to everything except for country. That's a common one I hear. A lot a lot of people say I listen to everything except for country. Apparently there was a guy who had gone up to the store and I guess there was some customers who were complaining a bit, but there was a guy who had gone up to the store. He went to the store, he wanted to shop for games, and he opened up the door, heard country music playing from there real loud, immediately closed the door, walked back to his car and left. And this particular person was friends with the boss who owned the store. And he contacted the guy. And essentially, I think this is kind of a dick move. But mind you, not my store, not my ownership. He contacted the boss and complained about it. And essentially said, hey, 
just want to let you know, like, whoever's running the store here, they're just, like, banging country western music real loud, and it was... It was so annoying, I didn't even shop there. I went right up there, I opened up the door, I heard the music, I closed it, I left. So my boss came down on my manager, and at that point my manager was no longer allowed to listen to music and play music in the store. Now, later on, we we did play music, mind you, but we couldn't play country western music super loud, or really any music super loud. It had to just kind of be like background music, you know, and it had to be customer appropriate as well, too. It couldn't be cussing and all that. I had a, at one point I had a Skrillex CD playing and uh, the F word came up on there a couple of times and I was working with my boss and we had a customer there and it was very clear when it came up and my boss was, he didn't lay into me, but he was like, man, like, what are you picking? You're playing this? Like, wow, there's customers here. I'm like, I'm sorry. I forgot that part was coming up. I'm so sorry. But he didn't reprimand me for it because again, I wasn't like playing country Western music at full blast and I wasn't, I wasn't pushing customers out the door with it. <laughs> oh man. So... There's a story directly related to my time working there. Now, the one that's kind of adjacent, right? Uh, This was, again, this is the place where, like, you know, I was growing up and everything. So it was just a local mom-pop shop. Uh, And there was a few other game stores that were there as well, too. Of course, we had, you know, our EB Games. We had our Game Stops. We had, uh, like, other local shops that had come and gone as well, just throughout all the years. Now, I had gone back to that city, like, a few months ago. And one of my friends lives there. So I hit her up. We ended up, uh, she got off work early. We ended up meeting for lunch. And then uh, there was another local game shop that I wanted to go to. So I end up going to this shop. And uh, there's like a few people there that I know. But there was one person, and I could not recognize him. Like, I'm, I'm looking around, and I was in the shop. And I was kind of surprised, right? Because, like, I go in there. And I have my mask on, so it's like most of, and whatever your opinion is on that, it's like most of my face is going to be obscured. So I'm in there, I'm looking, I'm talking with my friend, and there's this guy who's behind the counter, and he looks at me and points and says, tennis shoes. I'm just like, what? He says, tennis shoes. I like, I look down at my shoes, I'm like, I'm not, I'm not wearing tennis shoes, what? And he's like, I remember you, tennis shoes. And I'm so confused. And my friend is confused. And I'm just like, what are you talking about, man? And he was like, I remember you. I remember tennis shoes. And I'm just like, again, dude, I don't know what you're talking about. What are you talking about? You need to help me out a bit here. And so he's talking. He said, I I remember you from when you were younger. I said, okay. And he said, yeah. So I used to work at this GameStop. It was at this location. Okay. He said, this was, I remember we talked about tennis shoes before. I'm like, dude, what is it with the shoes? I don't know what you're, cause I'm not a sneakerhead, man. Like, I'm just like, what are you talking about? And he says, I remember it was 2003. You were a teenager. I was like, no, nah, I wasn't a teenager. He's like, you were a boy. I said, yes, I was a boy then. He said, okay. And I remember you were there, and I remember you used to always come into the store. But we were talking, and do you remember GMR Magazine? I said, no. He's like, GMR Magazine. It was like the short-lived at this short-lived magazine we had. I was like, are you talking about Game Informer? He said, no. It was GMR Magazine. It was an official magazine that we had. It was very short-lived. No one knows what I'm talking about when we talk about it. But there was only like 
10 issues of this that were released. And I remember we had a membership. And if you got, like, if you paid for this membership, it was like an additional thing, you could get the issues of the GMR magazine. And I told you at the time, there were 10 issues of it. And you asked me, really, they give you 10 issues? And I'm just standing there like, I am. I have this deer in the headlights look. And I'm like, dude, I don't remember this at all. He's like, I have no doubt that you remember it. But like, it was just, uh, it was, you weren't a dick to me. You weren't. But it was just one of those like smart Alec things where I was like, you know, I can't even be mad at this kid for saying that. And I'm just like, dude, I'm sorry. I really wasn't trying to be rude or anything. Knowing me, I legitimately misheard you. And I thought you said tennis shoes. And I was sitting there wondering as a kid, why would a video game company be giving out tennis shoes? And my friend was with me and she was even like, yeah, that sounds like something you would do. So... I, I guess that happened with GMR Magazine. He was trying to pitch me on 10 issues of this magazine. And I misheard him as 10 issues. And to double check this, I asked him. And I've seen this guy here and there, like, over the years. And I it's one of those things, I guess I have this, like, I ended up, like, cementing this profound memory in his head. And I he's never brought it up to me, ever. He's never made a joke about it. He's never brought it up to me. Nothing. And he recognized me, and I was like, dude, how, how do you recognize me? He's like, you, I mean, he, he said, because I even asked about the mask, he's like, your eyes look the same. Like, your, your eyes are unmistakable. And uh, <laughs> there was that. There was, I because, you know, obviously, I, I think I act a little bit differently from when I was a kid. Uh, but, you know, I, I've changed up my style. I've, I've lost weight as well, too. I've changed a lot with things. But he even said, your voice is the same. And I'm like, no, dude, my voice is not the same. He's like, okay, it's not the same. Like, you're old. It's, it's like, your inflection is still, the, like, that never changed. And I'm like, okay, I can kind of pick up on that. Uh, long story short, after all that, then I kind of, like, asked, like, what his name was. And I was trying to get a little bit more background. And then we, I ended up figuring out, like, there was, I guess there was a band I knew that he was in and I asked about it and I found out he was in that band. And then I was like, Oh my God. And I gave him a hug. I'm like, I recognize you now. Okay. But I'm like, it's, it's crazy that you just, you, you instantly picked up on this. <laughs> so that's what ended up happening with tennis shoes in my life, I guess. And with him, I, for the most part, he looks about the same, except he, he looks a little less metalhead. He looks a little more mature, I guess. Um, he seemed to be taking care of himself. He's wearing glasses, so that was a little uh, unmistakable. But I guess, yeah, e mistakable. There we go, because he didn't wear glasses before. But that's what ended up happening there. Uh, you, you you never know how something you said when you were like a small 8, 9, 10-year-old kid is going to come back to you like 20 years later. Like. <laughs> Tennis shoes, man. I don't know. I don't know. And hey, if you're going to approach someone like that, and like no disrespect to this guy, I love this guy, but if you're going to approach someone like that, add a little more detail. It was one of those things where, for anybody who's watched uh, Parks and Recreation, when uh, Treat Yourself is coming up, and it's like uh, Tom and Don are just saying, treat yourself, and Donna's husband's like, I, I don't know what this means. Like, you saying it over and over doesn't help. Like, that's exactly how I felt when this guy is just pointing at me and saying tennis shoes. I'm like, I don't, I don't, I don't know what you're, t I don't shop for tennis shoes. I don't wear, t what are you talking about, man? <laughs> uh, so that was, that was a fun moment that I ended up having. 
Oh man, since we're getting to the end of this here, I want to talk about the games I've been playing and I've been, you might have heard my Switch, I have been very excited for this, right? So uh, let's see, I've actually been playing a good amount this month. It surprised me a little bit. Now out of the games I ended up finishing here, uh, there was a couple that I actually ended up finishing on my PS5. I've been playing my PS5 recently. I'm going to sound like the worst PS5 owner, right? Because I have this like great gaming machine there. You know what I do most of my time, like in my gaming room, I have my PS5 running on the TV and it's just playing stuff on YouTube that I like to have running in the background and I'm playing stuff on my Switch. Like the Switch is so cozy to me. Like I I love the Switch. I I use my Switch like 90% of the time in handheld mode, Uh, but there was a couple games that I end up playing like on the TV. Uh, The first one was Dead Space Remake. I have been waiting to play this game. I end up getting my hands on it uh, because I was borrowing it. So thankfully, I didn't have to pay for it, which was cool. Uh, but I end up, I, I borrowed it. I played through it. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. This, this is like a perfect game to me. I legitimately don't have a single negative thing to say about this game. Now, it has been well over 10 years. Jesus, it's been like 15 years. It's been, oh my god, it's been 15 years since I played the first Dead Space. So my frame of reference is a little bit difficult there. Uh, But I remember I liked the first Dead Space quite a bit. Uh, But Dead Space is the type of series, each game I play through once and I never touch again. The first one, I played through it one time, never touched it after. Second one, played through it once, never touched it after. Third one, I played through a large majority of it. I end up losing my flash drive that I had to save for it on. I could never find that flash drive again. I haven't started it back up. I need to eventually. So that's also why I kind of felt a little more comfortable borrowing this game because I was like, well, I don't really want to drop like 50, 60, 70 bucks on this game that I'm going to play once. Um, It's a good game, mind you, but it's one of those games I play it one time. Uh, But my lord, what I'm saying is I, I might need to revisit the first Dead Space, the original one. Because I want to kind of see the comparison on there. But this game, it handled beautifully. It played well. It was fantastic. And I have a pretty high, like, scare tolerance. But even the times that would have been spooky, like, it did get me, like, once or twice. But for the most part, when something scary happened, I just started laughing. And part of it is a coping mechanism. But I guess a part of it was also I was laughing because I'm like, that was so well done. Like, golf clap. Good job, developers. This is a fantastic game. Like, fantastic game, and if anything, I think it might actually be better than the original, because of one thing, um, it doesn't have multiplayer, it's just a solid, incredible, single-player experience, and it doesn't, to my knowledge, it doesn't have microtransactions. Uh, Dead Space is the first game I remember, it's the first single-player game I remember back in, you know, 2007-2008, that released with microtransactions, uh, where you could just buy, like, upgrades and buy, you know, extra guns and all that stuff that were really, really good. Uh, But this Dead Space did not have that, to my recollection. So, overall, I mean, very short impression on there, but, like, that was, like, a perfect game to me. I loved Dead Space Remake. Although, and this isn't a slight to it, but, like, I've noticed this with remakes, because we've had Dead Space Remake, Resident Evil 4 Remake, we've had all these other remakes that have come out. Own the remake title. Silent Hill 2, there we go. All these games are coming out as Dead Space. Silent Hill 2. Resident Evil 4. Own the remake title. Call it Resident Evil 4 Remake. Resident Evil 3 Remake. Resident Evil 2 Remake. Uh, put the put the subtitle on there. Not only it makes it less confusing, but own 
that it's a remake. Just own it. That's what I'm asking these companies. So it's not Dead Space. It's Dead Space Remake. Like, just own that title, man. Just wear it proudly. The next game I end up playing was The Quarry. Now, I like Supermassive Games. Uh, their game Until Dawn is one of my favorite games. Absolutely love Until Dawn. Uh, so I end up also borrowing and I played through The Quarry on PlayStation 5. I will say, uh, this one, I'm glad I didn't pick up because it was it was good, mind you, right? It was a good game, but I just didn't like it as much as Until Dawn. Uh, I guess, it, you know, it's kind of hard to compare and not compare on there. I loved Until Dawn, even like the, the cheesiness and kind of like oddities of it that it had. Uh, but the quarry, first of all, it's with the, it is with the artistic approach they took. I thought it actually looked worse than Until Dawn, uh, because the way they did like the mocap and everything on there, it's especially like people's eyes and mouths just kept throwing me off in there, and it just kind of seemed a little unsettling and uncomfortable. I thought maybe that was kind of a part of the game's charm and like the delivery of it, but I I didn't like it. I didn't grow to like it. I got kind of used to it, but I didn't really grow to like it. Um, the story I felt like was was fair. It was all right. Um, interesting to me at times, but there were just also a lot of parts of the game that were just boring. Like I can honestly say that there were just several parts of the game that just felt boring to me. Uh, now, it did take a few turns I wasn't expecting in terms of, you know, um, saving certain characters, what to do, what not to do. So I think eventually, like not now, I don't really feel like playing it now, but eventually I'll probably pick it up again. And I don't think I'll do a platinum, but I'll probably run through it like one or two more times. Uh, overall, okay game. I think the thing that was disappointing, though, was that Until Dawn, I felt like was still a more solid title in many ways, uh, and I was, I wanted it to be, you know, about as good as Until Dawn, it was just, it was, it was just okay, really, it was like a good to okay, if you've never played any of their other games, you would probably say it's good, uh, but if you're, you know, comparing it to other games, it's okay, the, the quarry is okay, in my opinion, at least, uh, so as for games that I've been playing, but I did not finish, here's another one that, you know, I feel like this just needed a little bit more time to cook, uh, I also picked up Forspoken, started playing that on PS5, and let me tell you all, like, I'm only a couple chapters in, I'm really enjoying the game so far. Uh, I did kind of fall victim to when it first released, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't doing super well, the specs it asked for on PC and the performance we were getting just did not match up. Uh, I'm playing on PS5 though, but PS5 needed several patches. What was a little bit disturbing was that the demo got a couple patches on PS5, and I'm of the belief, for the most part, aside from some exceptions, if a demo is getting patches, that's not a good sign. Uh, I'd also seen, you know, a lot of people are kind of dogging the voice acting, the delivery, and all that on there, uh, but I will say, there was a little bit of a charm to it, and it's not like it's awful, mind you, right? Um, but I'm playing it, you know, months after it's released, so at this point, it's patched up pretty well, and going into it with a more open mind, it is really cool. Uh, it is a Square Enix title that is, it's not similar in a way, but it, it is to, what is that other game, uh, Ghostwire Tokyo, where it's like, Square Enix has been publishing these newer games, where it's kind of this like, realistic, 
realistic scenario, realistic environment. It's like a place where things actually take place and this exists in the real world, but then they put this twist on it. Like Ghostwire Tokyo, it takes place in Tokyo, but you're dead and you're dealing with ghosts in there. And Forspoken, it takes place initially at least in New York City. You're playing as a 20-year-old who's down on her luck. She has a cat. She's homeless. She's run into trouble all of her life. And then all of a sudden... She gets these magical powers, and she's in a land full of dragons. That is just, like, so topsy-turvy where I'm like, okay, this is actually pretty interesting to me. Like, I'm loving the experiences where they're going through that, you know? So even with, like, some of the awkward deliveries, it's like, yeah, this is a 20-year-old who's been down on her luck, and suddenly she can shoot things out of her arm, and there's dragons around her. Like, she's... She's not going to take this lightly. That makes sense. Overall, though, like, since I'm playing it so far, I'm still kind of scratching the surface on it. I'm enjoying the game. I'm enjoying the characters. Uh, and it seems to be running just fine. I think it's been patched well enough now that it's been okay. I feel like maybe it was... I think it was a little too hyped. People had their, re their expectations a little too high on it. And it just didn't come out in as good of a state as it could have. And if it was delayed and got a little bit patched a little bit further, I think it would have been more positively received. That's my opinion on it. Uh, however, I've kind of put that to the wayside for a bit because I decided to pick up Persona 5 Royal again. Uh, I've been playing through it on Switch. I started it earlier this year. And recently, the last week or two, I've really just been delving into it a lot more. Uh, so far, I'm like 31 hours in, which I know that's rookie numbers for Persona 5. But I'm I'm loving the game so far. I'm finally past, because uh, before I played it years ago, I played standard Persona 5 on PS4. Uh, I played through the first um, dungeon, for lack of a better, the first palace. And then I just stopped. Uh, now I am two palaces in. I am almost done with the third palace. I have just sent out my card, so now I'm just waiting. But now I'm like, I'm getting into the groove of the game, you know? Think more things are unlocking. I'm leveling up my character. I'm making more of the relationships in there. I'm really enjoying it. I think one thing that I didn't really like about the game is that there's two things. First of all, you can't just play a little bit of Persona 5. Like, you can't just sit there and play it for five minutes. And sometimes, like, I'm just playing, like, five minutes of a game or something. Uh, there's so many habitual things going on in the game, you can't just play a tiny bit of it. Uh, but it does help playing it on the Switch, because, you know, if something happens, you just go into suspend mode, and that's it. You're not just, like, sitting down on a couch and playing that. So I'm really liking it on the Switch. I also think I like it on the Switch quite a bit because not only it's comfy, but that's where I'm familiar with Persona. Because the first time I ever really played through Persona was Persona 4 Golden, which was on the Vita. And I loved it. I thought it was great on there. Uh, maybe the only downside to it being on the Vita was that they adapted it from the PS2, which it's like some of those dungeons went on for a while. Like, you could be doing a dungeon run for two or three hours, and it's like, well, I can't save in the middle of this. And my Vita is dying. So, like, this doesn't work as well. It's not like this is just a PS2 that is hooked up to a TV and I can keep it running for 24 hours a day. That was maybe my only issue that I had with Persona 4 on the Vita itself. Uh, however, you know, I'm, I'm playing this on the Switch. I'm liking it there. And I, I think I just really like this series as a portable series, you know? So, I've been playing through that. Um, but the only other thing I didn't really like is that 
because of kind of the slowness, it keeps introducing things to you. And even now I'm like 30 hours in and it's still introducing new mechanics to me. But the first, going through the first palace is pretty much a big tutorial. And that essentially means the first about 12 hours of the game is a tutorial. So just really keep that in mind. And it's still going to throw things at you, even 15, 20, 25, 30 hours in. But the first like 12 to 15 hours is essentially a tutorial. <laughs> I, I think that's what I wasn't super crazy about. But overall, I'm I'm loving the game. So I'm still going to be playing it. I'm very much enjoying it. I'm I'm liking it quite a bit. I'm really liking it. Uh, then, I guess, games that I've been playing with people. Uh, a friend and I, we've been still working through slowly Saints Row the Third. Uh, I've been playing the Mario Party games, the ones on Switch, with some friends as well, too, when we have, you know, our game night. So I've been playing Super Mario Superstars, Super Mario Party. Um, I guess my opinion on all those two, Super Mario Superstars is the better game. It has the better online. It is more snappy and responsive. But I still have an affinity for Super Mario Party just because it is a good-looking game. It looks fantastic. It was designed with the Switch in mind. Like, you each need to use a Joy-Con. You do, like, the thumbs-up, ready-to-go type action with it as well, too. And that's what I love. And I guess I miss that with Super Mario Superstars. If we could combine the two, that would be awesome. But from what I've gathered, a lot of people just didn't like Super Mario Party because they were expecting more from it. Because from what I've gathered, when it first came out, it was pretty much, hey, this is a great game. This is a great base for Super Mario Party. But once we get some new DLC, we get some new boards, we get some new additions, we get some extra patches. When we get online mode here, uh, then it's going to be off the chain. And that never really happened. I think we got one new board. So there's five boards on the game. Uh, we didn't get any substantial DLC for it. Which is good and bad. The The good thing is, when you buy the game, you get what's on the tin. The bad thing is, you know, like, there's nothing extra to buy. The other thing is, too, the online thing I mentioned. I don't know how Nintendo missed out on this. This game did not... Super Mario Party, it didn't launch. I think it came out in 2018. 2017 or 2018. It did not launch with online play. Then in 2020, when we had our pandemic happen, you know what would have been cool? To have Super Mario Party with online play. Tell me why they didn't release. They didn't release a patch for online play until like mid to late 2021 for this game. Like, how do you miss that? How do you miss that for real? <laughs> so Super Mario Party, it's a great foundation for a game. But the problem is the game never really got off that foundation to begin with. Because even the stuff that people asked for, like the online play, came out too late. You know, at this point, if you can choose one game, I tell people, I describe this to people, I say, I like both games, but if you can only choose one, Superstars is the one that you need to pick up. That is the better game. So that's my thoughts on it overall. Either way, we are at the end of this episode. So I do want to thank you all for coming out, hanging out, listening to this episode. If you are at the end here, and I thank you very much for tuning in, I do like to typically pick a keyword or key phrase. Uh, and if you use this keyword or key phrase in a comment on the YouTube upload, I'll know that you've made it to the end. Now, if you're listening to the audio-only version of it, don't worry. You can still come on to the Mr. Mario 2011 YouTube channel, come over to the Mario's Minute episode 64 upload, and leave a comment with this keyword or key phrase. And you know, just because of the game store story that I was sharing, how about shoe? 
Let's use shoe. What is your favorite kind of shoe? What kind of shoes do you wear? Like, do you love shoes? Do you like shoe shopping? Do you hate shoe shopping? Are you a sneakerhead? Are you a shoe collector? If you use the word shoe in your comment on the YouTube upload, I'll know that you've made it to the end. Anyways, that is about it for this episode, this video, this audio recording here. This is Mr. Mario signing off. Thank you all for listening and watching, everyone. And until next month.